Do you have your Bibles? Let's turn to 2 Peter. Uh, let's do just a, a brief 2 Peter recap to, to see where we're at. God has been, remember how the book started, God has been gracious to us. He's gifted us uh, with faith, he, uh, with all the things that we need. Well, we should work speedily, remember he says, and, and that word work speedily, that be quick about it, be hasty, do these things quickly. Um to get these fruits of faith, these things that will only happen, you can call them fruits of the Spirit if you're, if you're quoting from Paul, these fruits of faith, fruits of true faith, fruits of the Spirit genuinely saving us, we should get those things to work in our life. If God has changed our life and made these things possible, we should want these things, we should strive for these things to be in our lives, and they will be in our lives, and not just in our lives, but that they will be increasing. In our lives. Uh, as a Christian, we don't get to a certain level of, you know, what, what were the things? Excellence, knowledge, uh, discipline, faithful endurance, godwardness, uh, brotherly affection, familiar affection, love. We don't get to those things. You don't get to a point and go, okay, I've, I've nailed that, right? I'm, I've pursued excellence. I don't pursue excellence anymore. I've got all the knowledge that I need. Those things are supposed to grow. Uh, and as those things are, are growing, if these things are growing, that in, in assures our hearts that we've been genuinely saved. It gives us confidence. I've really been saved. This whole salvation thing is not made up. How do I know? Look at my life. Look at what I'm doing. I want to do better. And I am, right? I want to know the Lord and my knowledge is growing. I want to be disciplined and I can be. And I'm being more and more disciplined. Those sorts of things encourage us. In fact, Peter said these things are so important that he wants to remind them of these things over and over until he dies, which he said is, is going to be soon. And he wants to do that so that even when he's gone, they won't forget these things. And I said, that's like, that's like my life verse as a pastor. Like, that's what I want. Like when I'm gone, you see so many times the church sort of just takes on the, 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 the ebb of their pastors. And then when that pastor leaves, they take on a new sort of ebb or, or whatever. This is both a push for biblical pastoring and for uh, multiple elders as well, because you're not going to have a point where this pastorless and will sort of drift and, and then fill the mold of whomever comes in. Uh, that's a total aside. But then we get to this section now that we're in. in the section now in verse 16 and down really, we, you could run it all the way through, through chapter 2. Uh, you get this, this, this discussion uh, on who the Bi- on what the Bible is, on that it's not just a man-made book, but this is also an important section because it's meant to to reassure us about who Christ is. That's really the the main point. I mean, I think the the main point for Peter's readers is, hey, Christ is going to return. We know that because we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty, but we also know that because that's what the Word of God said, and this is what the Word of God is. The things that you've read about in these prophecies and that these teachers are trying to twist, as we'll see at the start of chapter 2, don't let them twist it. Make them hold fast to to what God has said in His Word. uh, And that's why I said we should be paying attention to this Word as to a lamp shining in a dark place until that day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And we saw last week what that means to be paying attention to God's word, that you need to be reading it, exhorting uh, others to it. You need to be teaching it. You need to be, of course, doing it, that the word of God helps keep us uh, from drifting away. So if these things should be increasing in our lives, the word of God is going to help us not drift away from these things and from 
the Lord. But we should pay attention to God's word, not just because of what it does, not just because it keeps us from drifting away. We should also pay attention to God's word because of what it is. You should pay attention to the Bible. In other words, it's not just pragmatic reasons that you pay attention to the scripture, although scripture is full of pragmatic reasons to pay attention to the Bible. Uh, You read the book of Proverbs, it's going to say, hey, bind these things to your heart. Why? Because they will be good for you. They will give you good long life. They will be, they'll be more treasured than even riches or jewels or all those things. So yes, there's a very pragmatic reason that I come to you and say, look, church, we've got to be in our Bibles. We've got to pay attention to God's word because it is good for us. It's good for you individually. It's good for us as a church. There's all sorts of blessings that come our way. All that we, we sang about in Psalm 1, that comes from obedience to God's word. That life is the blessed life. But we should also pay attention to God's word, church, because of what it is. Because this is the word of God. So the word that you would use is ontologically, just in its being, the Bible is something that you would pay attention to. And we recognize this. If, if the, the, we, we say this all the time, if the, if the, Roof were to open up and a book were to descend and lay itself in our laps, shining, golden in splendor. We would probably pay attention to that book. I doubt that that book, we would, you know, sit in a place in our house and collect dust uh, for six days and then dust it off real fast and flip the pages real quick so people think we've been rummaging through it through the week because there's nothing worse than opening your Bible and the pages are all stuck together. Uh, and everyone's like, you haven't been turning that. Uh, so, you know, sort of limber it up. If that were to happen, we would revere that word. We'd say, oh, God has spoken to us. And we're going to see that's exactly what God has done in the Bible. This is the word of the creator of the universe. He has spoken to us. We would do well to pay attention to what he says. Uh, And so let's see uh, Peter tell us uh, exactly that. This week we're going to see that the Bible is God's word. Let's let's stand. We'll read verses uh, 16 of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. And I don't think we're going to get to 2, 3, but we'll at least get to verse 21. Or at least get to verse 20, I guess, because that's where we're starting. All right, so verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. 
and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would pay attention to your word because it is your word and that that understanding that these words are not man's words but are the words of our God will help teach us the need, Father, to follow them but also will be a good protection in our hearts to not let anyone twist them or to add to them or to distort them but that we will listen not to the words of man, but to the words of you. Please, Father, may we cherish your word, not just claiming that it is great, but but living as if we truly believe that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, so really he starts laying out here. He says, look, you do well to pay attention to this word as, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It, makes, it, 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 you, it would be advisable. To pay attention to this word. But then, so he says, because uh, sort of because of what's going on in this world, because you're living in the dark, because all these things are taking place. But he says here, starting in verse 21, but there's a 20, there's another reason as well, being that you know what God's word is. And the first thing we see is what God's word isn't. That the Bible is God's word. The Bible is not man-made. Look at verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, so pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Why? Knowing this, first of all, what do you know? That no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So they should pay attention to the word because prophecy, because the prophetic word of God, because when God speaks... That doesn't happen from someone's own interpretation of what's going to happen and what that means. That when we get prophecy, this isn't, this isn't just something that someone has made up. These prophetic words that you're reading, in their case, in the, in the Old Testament and, and the writings of the apostles, that those things are not just coming from very wise men who had neat ideas or who thought they understood what was going on in the world, and their keen insight was able to direct the people. He says, that's not what prophecy is. No prophecy. No, this, first of all, no prophecy comes from someone's own interpretation. That is such useful insight. Normally, when we think of prophecy, he said, so he says here, look, the, the, the things that are happening, notice that he says there at the end that, that no prophecy comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, that seems interesting, right? You would think that no prophecy comes from someone's sort of origination or someone's own thoughts. Here he's saying even the interpretation of the prophecy comes from the Lord. Normally, when we think of prophecy, we think that someone is just declaring what is going to happen. Like the prophet stands up, in seven days the city shall fall. You know, that's the prophecy. But here it says that God has guided the prophet both in what the prophet is to say and in what that prophecy means for the people. Both the words and the interpretation of those words. 
And if you've been with us on Wednesday night, God again in his sovereignty just had us look at this. Like, well, not this Wednesday. It was very snowy. Uh, But the Wednesday before that, we just looked at it. That there is in God's words to steal from Zachary's outline and to answer, I think, one of our questions in the homework. There is the action, the act of the prophecy. This is what is going to take place. There's the explanation of that prophecy. This is why that is taking place and what that means. And then there is the instruction. This is how you need to live in light of these things. So the prophet gets up and when God's word comes, God speaks. This is what's going to take place. He says, this is what's going to happen. This is what that means. This is why those things are happening. And this is what you should do. All of those are wrapped up in every single prophecy so that Peter can say the prophecy is not someone's own interpretation. Because the Jews understood this. The Jews understood that you don't just get a word from God. You've got to respond to it. There's got to be some meaning to it. Nineveh doesn't just fall in seven days. Right? Like why, why are these things taking place? Why are, why, are, why are these actions happening? Why is Babylon coming to destroy us? When God declares those things, he also tells them why. And he tells them what they're supposed to do. And the prophet tells them all that. He says, the prophet's not just sort of quoting me and then coming up with his own thing. The prophecy includes both the act, the meaning, and the instruction in the prophecy. That's why he can say this is not someone's interpretation. And and so when you're reading God's word, remember that God's word doesn't just declare. It never just declares. It, It declares and it exhorts and it commands the, the interpretation of, of what these events mean and how we're supposed to re- respond to those events isn't up for debate either. And that's just not true of the Old Testament. If you look in the New Testament, that's the structure of the New Testament as well. This is what God has done. I mean, you've got New Testament letters like Paul's, like Second Peter. This is what God has done. Isn't that how it began? Second Peter, God has gifted us with this. He's done this. He's done that. And then what? This is what that means. And this is how you should live. That idea is continued throughout Scripture. This is what God has done. This is what it means for your life. And this is how you should live if God has done all that. That sort of framework for God's word is continued throughout the word of God. That's just how God has spoken. So when you're looking at Scripture, realize you're not just looking at God speaking and declaring future events. God's not just showing off by by showing, I declare the end from the beginning. Although he does show off in declaring the end from the beginning. He does show that he is God by doing that. But when he does declare the end from the beginning, he also tells you how to act in the meantime. Right? He says, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And this is how my people should live in light of that. So when you're reading scripture... Realize that none of that interpretation comes just from someone's own mind. God has given both the events and how you should live in light of those events. That this is not someone's own interpretation. How you're supposed to live. Paul's not just coming, when, when, or let's stick with Peter. Peter's not just coming up with here. Hey, you know what? You need to add these things. You need to get these things working with your faith. You know, this, this excellence and knowledge and discipline and, and, and those, those things, those faithful endurance and Godwardness, you need to get those things. The Bible is saying God is the one who's given him those words as well. Not just to declare what's going to happen, but also to tell us how we're supposed to be living, to interpret 
what God has said into our lives. That's not up for discussion. It comes from God, not from man. If it was just Paul's idea, you go, okay, well, I don't have to do that. Uh, But if Paul is ultimately writing what the Lord has said, then you're obligated to obey. And Peter's saying, that's what's going on. No prophecy came from someone's own interpretation of events. It came from the Lord. I think this is also useful in our day and age because it teaches us that some interpretation is wrong. There's wrong interpretation. People like to talk about Scripture as if Scripture is some sort of wax nose, right? That sort of, you can, you know, I, we're all just twisting it. I twist it the way I like, and you're twisting it the way you like. I just saw this on Facebook the other day, and it was so hard because I'm working on this sermon, not just be like, bleh, on someone's Facebook page. Uh, one, because I didn't even really know them. Uh, but someone had commented, and I just got stuck in that rabbit trail. Uh, but that's how people think, oh, that's just, that's just your interpretation. My interpretation is different. And I want to go, no, your interpretation is just wrong. And that's not arrogant to say. It's not, it would be arrogant to say if my interpretation was wrong and I told them that theirs was. But we have this idea that Scripture just sort of like throws this mist out there and we're all sort of wading through the mist. And, and, you know, you may see this through the, like, it's some sort of weird, you know, peace pipe dream or something like that, that we're all sort of, you know, sort of piecing it together. And this is, look, even the interpretation of scripture is defined by the Lord. And, and, and you can't, scripture's not a wax nose for you to say it means this and others say to mean that. Peter's saying, you can't just interpret scripture any way you want to. That there are right interpretations of Scripture and there are wrong ones. There are reading Scripture and saying, this is what God has said and what He says that means. That's what we've got to do. That we can think that a certain passage, you know, means something, but that must line up with what God has said, what God has actually said. We don't get to twist God's Word. We don't get to interpret Scripture any way we want to. We don't get to come to, to Scripture and twist it. It comes to us and twists us. It reforms us. We don't reform it. And be careful, Christian, because we may not do this out loud with other people, but we will do it personally in our Bible readings. We will read things in Scripture and see it and see what God is calling us to live and see what it is saying. You need to quit doing this and start doing this. And it twists us and we'll go, eh, I don't think that's really what it means. (laughs) And we'll twist it back and be like, well... Holy Spirit, maybe that's just your interpretation, you know? And all of a sudden, so, so we can even be guilty. We can even be guilty of, of twisting what Scripture is teaching us to do when we read it and say, surely that's not what God has said. Surely that's not what he means in my life. If you read it and it is clear in Scripture that it is calling you to that, look, that interpretation that Scripture is laying out for you is not just from man that's from the lord into how you're supposed to live so this idea that the bible is just this sort of uh personal maze that you wander through and others wander through and you know you twist it and they twist it that's not what scripture says scripture says that what we're reading in the bible has a meaning and our job isn't to come up with what we think it means but that we can clearly see what god is teaching in the text. 
that it's there. And the problem isn't that it's not there. Although, as Peter's going to say, there are some things that are hard to understand. The problem isn't that it's not there. The problem is we don't like what we see. And Scripture's saying, you've got to realize that when you see the interpretation of these events, this is not just someone's own idea. This is not just man-made. This is coming from God. So, so take, for example, what's going on here in Second Peter. It's not just that these false teachers are wrong. It's not just we're going to see coming in chapter 2. It's not just that they didn't know any better. And I think, I think that's why in chapter 2, verse 1, he says there were pro- false prophets then, but he doesn't call them false prophets, does he, in chapter 2? He says, just as there were false prophets then, there are false what? Teachers now. So what they're doing is they're taking the word, and they're not speaking new things into Scripture. They're taking and they're twisting what's already in the Scripture. We're going to look at this a lot next week, so I don't want to get too much into it, and I'm tempted to. Uh, We're going to see what they're doing is twisting the word of God. This becomes very clear in chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 says, As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist, he's, he's talking about the, the false teachers here, twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So these teachers, again, they're not coming up with new words. They're not false prophets in that sense. They're twisting what his words mean. They're coming to the interpretation that God has laid out. This is what's going to take place, and this is what that means. You've seen that in 2 Peter already. Christ is going to return, why? Because of his majesty, right? His majesty, the coming, is is connected to his majesty and glory. The event is also translated for us, interpreted for us. The coming of Christ proclaims his majesty. He says here they're, they're twisting these things. They're not coming up with new things. They're just twisting what is already uh, in scripture. I mean, I mean, it's obvious. If someone came up to us and said, look, God has told me something new, then we would know, okay, I do not need to listen to what you're about to say. That's, that's easy, right? If someone stood up and said, I am a prophet and this is what the... The Lord has said to me, add this at the end of Revelation. You're going, have you read the end of Revelation? He's already told us about you. But just because someone quotes the Bible doesn't mean they're quoting it accurately or honestly. God's word means, and and Christians, we have to, especially those of us of an expository bent, we have to be careful that when we're quoting scripture to make a point, we're quoting the scripture accurately. Because you can even quote scripture out of context and have it say something that that is not what the scripture says. So you have to always humble. Listen, this is a temptation. If, if, you're to, if you're desirous to like win arguments or whatever, you know, or to just be right, which I, li- I like both of those things. The temptation is, I know a Bible verse, and I know if I quoted that Bible verse, it would look like it's saying exactly what they're talking about. But in my mind, I know, but that's not what Paul's talking about in that verse. 
And you could quote that verse and they would read it and say, oh, look, he's right. But you know, that's not what Paul was talking about. So you've got to be careful in your own life. Read what scripture says and then treat it as if this is God's word, not some man-made thing. And that means if it's God's word, you don't twist it. The interpretation is God's. What you're supposed to do with it is from the Lord. So don't twist it back. If God's twisting you with his word, you don't get to untwist it unless the untwisting comes in obedience. And you'll notice when you obey, that, untw- that twisting stops. And it feels so much better. Uh, so when God's word is twisting you, go with it. Go with it. When, when God is like a crocodile putting you in the death roll, uh, go with it. Uh, because it is better for you than if you were to fight against the word and say, that is surely not what God has said. Who do you sound like when you say that? Satan, there's a reason I kept, I kept quoting it that way. <laughs> you sound like the serpent in the garden when you say, surely he has not said that, you know, that I need to do that. You're reading these passages and you're going, surely not. You're, you're listening to the father of lies when you do that instead of listening to uh, the Lord. And so the next time someone says, you know, that's just your interpretation about a passage, they normally do that to say discussion's over because the Bible can't be known by anybody. Right. Well, that's just your interpretation. You can in confidence say, no, that's what it says. This is God's interpretation of this scripture. And and you better now you better make sure that what you're saying is God's interpretation uh, and not your own. But it is God who ultimately interprets the text, not us. We either obey or disobey what is clearly laid out in God's word. The, the role of interpreting scripture isn't ours. Our job is not to, I'm, I'm sorry, fourth and fifth century, you know, various monks. Our job is not to find all sorts of realms of allegory hidden in the text that you couldn't see in the text. Uh, our job is to see what God has said, because not only does he give us his word, he also gives us the interpretation. You don't have to divine the divine mind. It's there. It's exposed. Everything you need is clearly there. Uh, your job is just to read it and obey it, to submit to what God has said. And, and that's what Peter's arguing here. He, he's saying, not that you and I can't or, or shouldn't try and understand Scripture, uh, or that we can't talk about various options in a passage, but that we must make sure that our inter- interpretation of Scripture is not our interpretation, but what is clearly laid out in the text, what God is clearly saying there not what we're uh, coming up with, but what God has said. So the first thing you've got to recognize in treasuring God's word is to realize that it's not your word. It's not just not man-made, because that's what we like to do when we're talking sort of apologetically, right? This is not man-made text. This is from God. But we need to teach ourselves this as well. This is God's word, not your word. You don't get to just do with it what you want either. You have to submit to God's word. You have to submit that that this is his word and his interpretation of what it means and how we should live is something I have to be obedient to. I can't be guilty of twisting it in my own life. Uh, And we have to submit, not just because it's not ours, but also because it is God's. And that's where he gets in verse 21. That the Bible is, is not man's word. The Bible is God speaking. So verse 21, 
For no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible didn't come by man's will. It came by God's action. This is a, another helpful verse in explaining how did we get the Bible? If you're ever looking at your Bible, you're saying, well, well how did we get it? Where did, what happened? How did, how did we get books like Genesis? How did we get Isaiah? The, 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 you know, what, what took place in the writing of Scripture? Well, here we see that prophecy, the Bible, is not ever man-made. So where did it come from? He gives us three distinct descriptions of how we got God's Word. Three phases, you could say, that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is helpful because it answers questions we might have about God's word. Questions like, if the Bible is God's word, why does he give us four different gospels? You know, why not just, if if he's just going to speak it, why not just give one gospel that says everything it needs to say exactly the way it needs to be said? Why four? Or, or, Or why does, when we're reading the book, why does John like to use certain words that other authors don't like to use? If, if God is the author, why isn't the vocabulary all the same? Why can you have different vocabs and different ways they phrase their sentences and, and all those things? Why does Mark like the word immediately so much? If, if the Bible is God speaking, why does he sound different in every letter? Well, this is the Bible telling us why. Because the Bible doesn't shy away from the role of men in God getting the word to us. So he says, men spoke. So scripture didn't fall out of the sky. It didn't land in some golden, golden tablets. That, that it came from the mouths of men. These image bearers of God became his message bearers. And so God's word came through human speaking. And then the writing down of those words. But, but these men were not just robots. Uh, so that's, that's why you see like different styles and vocabularies in, in books and in and letters. This is why Peter sounds different than Paul, who sounds different than John, because it, the, the Bible didn't just come and these men are there and then all of a sudden they just sort of, oh, you know, just like blank out and their hand starts moving and they wake up and they've written 2 John uh, or, or written Matthew. Uh, these things come by men speaking and the, and the Bible has no problem saying that what you see are the author's words. These are their words. These are John's words. This is John speaking. This is Moses speaking. And so in, in talking about what the prophet said or wrote, it, it doesn't have a problem sometimes saying God said, and sometimes in the Bible it'll say, this is what the prophet said. This is what Isaiah said. Even Jesus in telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus, now, it says this about the Old Testament in Luke chapter 16, verse 29. He's talking about Abraham in heaven. Uh, and Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. In other words, in the law and the prophets, they are hearing Moses and the prophets. These people, he's saying, are not listening to Moses. They're not listening to Moses. They're not listening to the prophets. It's, he doesn't just say, Abraham doesn't just say, hey, they didn't listen to God. In the writings, and they said, look, they're not listening to Moses. He he said, Jesus says this again in John chapter 5, verse 46. He says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. That they're not just rejecting God. 
They're rejecting Moses when they reject what Moses wrote, what Moses said. So these are Moses' words. These are the prophet's words. So what we don't have is what you would call a dictation model of Scripture, where God is just sort of, like I said, taking on them as sort of robots, and they're pinning out these things, blacking out. So these men are speaking, but that doesn't mean the words are just their words. Because it says, where did that speaking come from? Men spoke what? From God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that they spoke from God, that these prophets spoke from God? Well, Zechariah actually gives us a prophecy about prophecy, which seems interesting. In Luke chapter 1, verse 70, we'll start in verse 68. He says, blessed be the God, Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. So yes, the prophets are speaking, but ultimately it is God speaking through the mouth of these prophets. That They are Moses' words and Moses is writing and Moses is speaking, but ultimately the words that Moses is writing and the words that Moses is speaking are coming from God. So these men are speaking from God. In fact, Peter's already said this before. Peter's already talked about this when sharing the gospel. This is in Acts chapter 3. He's sharing the gospel with the Jews and he's reminding them of what they already knew about the prophets. That the, 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 the prophetic words were ultimately God's words that, the, that these, that these uh, prophets had written down. So Acts chapter 3 beginning in verse 18 You'll see it a couple of times. You'll see it in 18, uh, and, and you'll see it again in 21, verse 18. But what God foretold, how? By the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that may, he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So God foretells, but God foretells by the mouth of these prophets. God speaks, but he speaks by the mouth of these prophets. That's why uh, Paul can say in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 and 17, that all scripture is what? Breathed out ultimately by God. That Paul has no problem saying, yes, Moses is speaking, and yes, the prophets are speaking, but ultimately the words that they're saying are being breathed out by God. So yes, the men speak, but they do so from God. It's God who initiated the speaking. It's God who gave the message so that these men aren't just sort of seeing the problems and, and speaking their wisdom into the world. These men speak because God has spoken to them and told them what to say. And it's not just that he gives them a sort of a vague idea of what to say either. It's not just that he tells them to speak and then walks away. Look at how active he is in their speaking. 
not only was God active in, in telling them what they should say, he remains active in the whole process. Because what's the third thing he says? Men spoke from God as they were what? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is that, this is the, this is the, instead of footprints in the sand, this is footprints in the scripture, right? Uh, you thought, Moses, you thought you were writing, but I was carrying you the whole way. Uh, you, that can, you guys can print that yourself. I'm sure it'll be very popular. Peter's actually talked about this before in 1 Peter. This role of the Spirit, even in the process. So men are speaking. Moses is speaking. Moses is saying. God is telling him what to say. And then God's carrying him along in the process to make sure he says exactly what he wants him to say. Word for word, what he wants to be said. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So these prophets, these prophets are speaking, but it is the spirit that is carrying along some of what they say to the point that he says, these prophets aren't even really fully aware of the meaning of all that they're saying. So they're transmitting a message that is so not theirs that they're still inquiring as to who the Spirit was referring to. As to the time, they don't understand everything about their prophecy even. That they just know what God is telling them to speak, often what that means for their time, uh, and then they get a foreshadowing of how it's going to work out. But a lot of times they are still inquiring into what the Spirit told them to write. But what's clear for our passage is the the prophets recognize who it is speaking. The prophets recognize that it was the spirit that was carrying them along. The spirit that was indicating these things in them when they were, when he was, when it was predicting these things. So when the prophets are predicting the sufferings of Christ and are predicting his subsequent glories, it is the spirit that is telling them to say these things. Uh, Of the role of the, spirit in prophecy we can we can look all the way back into the old testament they understood this in the old testament as well that when they're speaking they're speaking by the spirit of the lord uh, david speaks of the uh, of it this way right before he dies uh, of all that he has spoken and said second samuel chapter 23 verse 2 he says the spirit of the lord speaks by me his word is on my tongue So David speaks, but it is the Spirit's words that are on his tongue. The the scripture was, the speaking of the Holy Spirit is then continued to be assumed in the the New Testament as well. You get to the first century, these people already know this. Peter's talking to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Concerning Judas, who became a a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Again, in David's mouth, but the Spirit's words. This has to be fulfilled what the Spirit said by the mouth of David. So men are speaking, but they're speaking from God because the Holy Spirit is carrying them along in what they're saying. The prophets are speaking, but it's the Spirit that is carrying them. This is not the prophet's own message. This is not his interpretation. These are God's words. So that 
is why we would do well to pay attention to them. And as we're going to see next week, not to these false teachers. Don't let someone twist God's word because it sounds good. And because you wish that was what it meant. And so in your desire to not have it mean this, look, everybody loves a good health and wealth twist of the gospel, right? That sounds good to everybody, right? But if that twisting actually leads to your destruction and not your good, if that, if that warning had been already laid out in Proverbs, look, love me more than you love riches and treasure. Because someday there's going to be a people who will try and twist this word to make it about riches and treasure instead of about my glory, which is actually my wisdom, which is actually more valuable than those things. If you, if we're, but if we're going to stand, not against, not against false prophecy, but if we're going to be able to stand against false teaching in the church or in our own hearts, we've got to remember who the Bible belongs to. We've got to remember who, whose it is. The Bible is not yours. It's not man-made and it's not you-made. When you read it, you are reading the words of your God, yes, but also, remember, of God. And so if we'll take that knowledge of what the word is, if we'll remember, this isn't mine, These words are the words that God spoke. These are breathed by him that his spirit carried along these people to write these exact things. Then there will be a humility when we come to the word of God. There will be a humility, yes, when we come on Sunday. But there will be a humility every day of the week that I don't get to just do with God's word what I want. It gets to do with me what it wants. It gets to shape me. I don't shape it. And so the next time that God's word comes to you and you read it and it clearly says, this is what you should do. This is how you should live. Realize that you are going to be tempted to be just like the false teachers. You may not be standing up in front of a church, but you're speaking a lie to your own heart. When you tell it, well, that's not what it means. That's not what I have to do. Let the word of God shape you. You don't shape it. And you will fight that humble battle every time you open its pages. But by the grace of God, if you're his, he will win that battle in you as you open it. You will, I mean, any Christian who has ever read a verse and then not done it knows that the thorn that pricked you when you first read that verse is nothing like the log that gets shoved into your heart when you disobey it. (laughs) And you know it. And you know you're supposed to do it. And you know what it said. And you like, shut the pages and, and just go about. I mean, you think you can avoid the thorn and you can't. It will bury itself deep. And like we warned last week, Look, if God, the, the, the worst thing that could happen for you is God to not push that thorn in further till it hurts so much, you got to get it out. The, the worst thing that could happen for you is God to let you read it and then let you forget about it. It is God's grace that when you shut those pages and you try to forget, he in love and in kindness says, nope. 
and his spirit drives that piercing word like a sword deep into your heart and you realize just how living and active that word of God is. That's grace. That's grace. But you know what? What's even better? Not needing that grace, but having the grace of obeying it the second you read it. Not needing to be disciplined, not needing to be chastened. But when you read God's word, let the chastening happen now. Let the chastening happen today. You've been arrogant with my word. Make sure you always submit to what you read. Because if you don't listen now, he will make you listen then. And it will not be as pleasurable in that moment. Let's pray.